0: Well, it's a good morning, isn't it? It's about to get even better, maybe. Well, I'm about to get up all in your business. So normally on Father's Day, you preach a nice, ah-rah, fathers, we thank you, your wonderful message, and I'm not going to do that this morning. Uh, So, sorry. We're going to, but I really do believe that I have a message from the Father for us that represents the Father's heart for his people. Because um, the Father desperately wants us to know who he is and I believe that he's got something powerful for us this morning. But I'm, I'm going to offend you. Maybe. <clears throat> um, so the Father's house is a really important place. Jesus was passionate about his father's house, not just the temple, but about the business that happened at his father's house, and about the people that were affected, and about the people that were part of the family of God. So when we talk about the father's house, we talk about a place, a temple, or, or a, you know, this house, this church being a, a place, but really the father's house is the family that God has called us into. Jesus, at one point, even when he was young, was, was lost by his parents, but not lost because he was in the temple teaching and about his father's business. When his parents came back, he's like, "Why were you even looking for me? You should have known where I would be." I'm I'm passionate about my father's house. I'm passionate. I had to be about his business. When he started his ministry in John chapter two, Jesus was very zealous for his father's house. In fact, it, his zeal zealot ze- ze- zealousness. Thank you. Uh, was so much so that he made a court of whips and he went in and he started throwing some people out. And and and. Kind of in a shocking way, and his, but his disciples remembered, Scripture says, in that moment that a prophetic word about him that was in the Psalms that said, passion for or zeal for my Father's house, God's house will consume me. This was about Jesus. He was consumed about the Father's heart. And so this morning, I want to talk about something that I think is on the Father's heart for us, and I want us to be, to be able to be passionate about it, because we're going to talk about something that's kind of family business and it's okay, and it's good. We're gonna talk about what's happening in our society, in our country, in our nation, even around the world right now, as it relates to racism, Black Lives Matter, make America great again, and riots, and murder. And it has a potential to be really uncomfortable. How many of you are uncomfortable already? Just those like six, seven words I said makes you a little uncomfortable. It's okay, it's okay. We're gonna talk this morning and we're gonna get the heart of the Father. I want you to know that, that in some ways I've been slow to speak about this and part of it, if I'm fully honest, was that I didn't know what to say but I was challenged by another brother in the Lord that says if you don't know what to say about this then you haven't done your homework because you should have something to say. But I've been slow to speak because the word tells us be slow to speak and quick to listen and slow to become angry. But that's not an excuse to not say anything because at some point you've got to speak. James doesn't say be slow to speak or never speak. He says just be slow to speak. In other words, hear what God has to say and then at some point say something about what's going on. And I'm very aware that the words that I have for this morning and for us in some ways are, are inadequate. For some people, what I say this morning will, will go too far. Pastor Josh shouldn't have touched that. For some people this morning, my words are not going to go far enough. Should have had more to say. Should have been stronger on this. I'm, I'm, I'm keenly aware that there are, there are people pulling on, say something, and this is what you ought to say. I'm aware that this morning, uh, for some words, my, uh, for some of us, my words will make you too comfortable. You'll say, Pastor, you, you, you let people off easy. For other people, though, you're going to say, Pastor, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable with what you said. You made me uncomfortable, and it was not Okay. What I just want to say is this, I am still learning, I am still listening, I'm still hearing the voice of God, but we have got to say together what God is saying. And as we come to this moment to talk, it requires that we do not have pat answers. What do I mean by that? We cannot have a quick answer. We can't give the answer that makes us most comfortable. Have you ever answered something quick because you just didn't want to deal with it? That's not okay here. We cannot, we have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. We're not supposed to have quick answers to deep and complex problems. In fact, Proverbs chapter 18 verse 13 says this, spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. My kids will tell you, and I'm not going to use any examples because I got in trouble last week my kids aren't usually in the service to hear how much we talk about each other or talk about them we have to flip it up a little but i'm not going to but you know what i'm talking about parents where you come into a room and maybe you've instructed your children a thousand times not to do something or a million times right and you walk in the room and you see them doing the exact thing you have told them a million times not to do and something godly you think rises up within you and you're about to lay the smack down like right like in all righteousness, you're going to execute justice here. And you don't have all the facts. And maybe you start in with the... <gasps> and your spouse goes, hold still. Or gives you that look like don't you don't know what's going on here. Or maybe your kids try to explain to you what's going on and you don't even listen. Because you're already, you're already all the way down that path. And you're gonna ride that, you're gonna ride that horse all the way to the end. And your kids are just coming along for the ride. Never mind that you missed out. And so later on, even when you find out you were wrong about the intentions of their heart, sometimes we still act with shame and we stand there with pride and say, uh-uh, no, I'm going there. The Bible says that we're fools. And it's to our shame that we do that. We tend to dig in. But do you know that that's the very definition of prejudice? To answer something, to give an answer before you have the facts is to prejudge. You have given your judgment before you have the facts. And you, well, I'm not prejudiced. Well, maybe you're not racist and prejudiced, but we all have prejudices. But I'm saying if we talk too quick about this before we have the facts, and we're we will be in a place of shame and of foolishness. And God has not called us to those places, but He has called us to listen and to then speak with his heart. We have more listening to do. I have more listening to do. We have more talking to do. But here's the thing. It is not okay for us to ignore those who are suffering. It's not okay to ignore our brothers and sisters who are in pain. Jesus told a parable about this. He said, he said that we ought to love our, the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. And one of the people listening to that said to justify themselves, well, who's my neighbor? Wise guy. Now, we can be judgmental, but we're in the same place. Who do I really have to love? And Jesus told a parable. He told the parable of the Good Samaritan. He said this, a man was beaten and robbed and left naked and dying on the side of the road. And a priest came by and saw it and walked on the completely other side of the road. Just, I'm not even going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to ignore, like, this was an Israelite, somebody who, he, who a priest is called to serve, and they refuse to even look at it. Won't do it. And then he said, then, then a, a helper from the temple, a Levite, came by. Somebody who's not only, like, called to do it, but literally, like, empowered to serve. And this, this person was, was, was good enough to come up and actually take a look, to, to pay attention to it. But even in paying attention and seeing the issue, went to the other side and walked on. And Jesus said, a Samaritan, somebody who wasn't part of the people of Israel, who, wasn't, who was ethnically different, who was despised by the Israelite, came and took that man and bound him up and brought healing to him and Took him to a place of healing and said, Listen, I'm going to leave him here. Here's some money to take care of him. If anything else comes to the account, I'll pay you back when I come back. It was a long term investment in the brokenness and pain of another to, 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 to their own great expense that God called us to. So we love our neighbor. So, it's not enough to, like, hey, neighbor, nice to see you, but like to be invested long term to our own, even at our own great cost to ourselves. Why? Because when it comes to the issues we're going to talk about this morning, the church is supposed to take the lead. We are called to leadership in this area. But too often, we don't know what to say. Or intimidated by it, or even what we do say, is not in line with the gospel, and we miss our moment to lead. And so this morning, I want to not necessarily preach a message to you. It's a little bit different than other things, but this is more of a pastoral meditation and challenge. I told the other services, I went over because I't do know my notes are all, they're different. they're not normal. Normally, I can tell you how many words and how long it's going to take me to preach it, like how many, by my notes. I can't tell you this morning. Probably need about three hours to unpack this. But we're going to get to as much of it as we can. But listen, it's not a one-time answer. and It's not to let us off easy so we can keep going. We've got to talk about this and we've got to live it out. Because it doesn't matter what we believe until we do it. Are you uncomfortable? Some of you, some of you aren't. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's be okay being uncomfortable. Can we be okay being uncomfortable? All right, I got half of you with me. The rest of you, listen, I love you. More importantly, Jesus loves you. And listen, we're gonna get to the end where God gives us something to do by his spirit. So don't be afraid, he's gonna empower us if we will listen to him. So here's what I see. As I look across what we're dealing with as a society, I see a demonic strategy being released on the earth. In fact, there's there's people all around the world today gathered in cities, not necessarily related to what we've seen in our nation. Like these aren't rallies for this, but they're literally satanic rallies that are happening today to pray to the enemy to unleash hell on the earth. And here's what I say don't be afraid. Because we have the authority if we will listen to God to stand in our place of authority by the Spirit of God and say, Not in my city. To declare the word that, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our God. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess not one world government but the name of Jesus Christ. As King of kings and Lord of lords. But don't be dismissive of the fact that whether it's a rally today in the name of Satan or some other thing, that a demonic agenda is being released in the earth right now. How do I know? Look at the evidence of it. A demonic agenda of racism. Racism is demonic. It's from the enemy. End of story. As, peop- as the people of God, we are not allowed to hold any bit of racism. Demonic agenda. The demonic agenda that's being released in the earth is hate. Hate for others is being released in the earth. Demonic agenda. The demonic agenda of murder is being released in the earth. It's a demonic agenda. The demonic agenda of destruction is being released in the earth. The demonic agenda of rebellion is being released in the earth. The demonic agenda of lawlessness is being released in the earth. Now here's the thing. Most of us would agree with all those, although some of us, if we're honest, lean a little more to one or the other on that list already. But those are the big deal things. But what about this? What about the demonic strategy of callousness? Get me to care less. A little bit. Oh, just a little bit. The demonic strategy of ignorance. Well, I didn't really know. Where we're kept in the dark, or we're kept in our little corners, or we're kept in our own bubbles of thought. And we miss what God's doing with others. And we're okay, we're okay with it. That's what makes it worse. Or the demonic agenda of silence. Listen, silence is the demonic agenda because the enemy knows if he can rob us of our voice, our prophetic voice, then he robs the earth of the truth being spoken through us. The enemy wants to rob not just pastors and not just leaders of their prophetic voice. He wants to rob every believer of the voice that God has given them to speak the words of God into their lives and into the lives of others. How will people know that they are free unless somebody tells them that they're free? Can I be, can I be transparent for a minute? I'll, I'll start with me. Do you know I had a problem with Juneteenth? I'm, I'm just going to be real real about it because I didn't understand it. I was like, why would you name something Juneteenth? Just, I had no idea what this was a celebration of. Do you know why? People celebrate Juneteenth because it's the day that slaves in Texas, years after they were set free, were told that they were set free. It was the moment the news came to them. The enemy wants to rob the church of, their, of the, the voice of freedom, of the voice of truth. And he knows if he can keep us silent, there will be people that will be imprisoned and enslaved in their sin and everything else, even literal slavery all around the world, till the voice of the church releases the truth of God into their lives by the Spirit of God. Silence is a demonic strategy. What I see is the enemy is looking to, one, pull our nation, but let's just completely set that aside right now. He's looking to pull the church into two different directions, different camps. He knows that if he can divide us, he can win. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And what's happening right now is in our culture, we are being pulled into our political arenas and our philosophical arenas instead of the kingdom of God. And you can say, well, not really, but I've seen it over and over again. And I'm not accusing everybody, but I'm starting with myself. I have watched as things happen, and the first reaction that I have is a reaction that goes into my political sphere or my philosophical sphere of the way I view the earth instead of a kingdom mentality. And it prevents me from knowing and understanding and speaking the truth. So how about I just talk about myself for a minute? And then I'll talk about you. Listen, it's all over Facebook. I've watched it as somebody puts something out there and believers jump on two sides of the aisle and they give in to their political philosophies instead, or their philosophies of, the, of whatever instead of the kingdom. And you know what happens when we give in to those? We lose our prophetic voice. I'm not saying don't have a political philosophy. I'm not saying don't be involved in the political undertaking or the great experiment that the United States is. I'm not anti-United States. But what I'm saying is we are citizens of a kingdom first. And the rest of it has to be subservient to it. And we do a disservice to the kingdom when we flip it. And it's very easy to flip it. And so what I'm seeing is, is we're drawn into this demonic strategy of separation. It's a political spirit and it's an intimidating silencing spirit. Well, here's why I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because hearts are being exposed. When my heart is exposed, when I react a certain way and it's not kingdom, what an opportunity that God is giving me by his grace to have my heart corrected. To have my voice empowered to speak kingdom words. Our hearts are exposed never to shame. Our hearts are never exposed to silence. Our hearts are exposed so God can bring healing and empower our voice. I see this as a divine setup. The enemy is coming in to break out with all this stuff, and he wants to defeat the church and defeat and and, and drive people into madness. But God is taking this opportunity as our hearts are exposed to refine his church. To expose those things that we put our trust in that we ought not to put our trust in. Those things that are ugly. Those things that divide us from one another. Prevent us from even having real conversation. So that he can bring revival to the earth. See, our hearts are revived. As our hearts are revived... The world around us is revived. We're going to talk about a little bit about what that looks like. But he wants to start with our hearts. Why? Because every time revival breaks out, it always includes a breakdown of racism and the walls that divide us. Think about the early church and the explosion of the gospel in the known world. How did that happen? It, it happened when a group of ethnocentric Jewish believers were rejected by their own people and persecuted and had to go other places. And it broke down the wall between the Jew and the Greek. But it was radical for the time. We don't read it through that lens, but it was radical for that time. Unheard of. When the Pentecostal outpouring at Azusa Street happened in the early 1900s. Understand, the early 1900s. It was led by a black man. People from every... Nation and tribe and color and ethnicity gathered around what the Spirit of God was pouring out. In fact, it was so broken down that children would play together of all different nationalities in the glory cloud. Hide and seek. It erased those barriers because the kingdom of God coming into our lives by the Spirit of God does that. So what a divine moment. What a divine setup for us to walk into what God has. All right, I'm going to get real practical for just a minute. I only have four minutes left to preach about another hour. <laughs> but let me just get practical. Let's get real. I'm going to give you what's happening in my house and what I'm asking my children to do and the leadership of this church to do in our response. What, what about just Black Lives Matter? Now, let me be very clear. I'm not talking about the political movement. But I'm talking about the statement that Black Lives Matter what if when somebody, and this is what I told my boys, when somebody says Black Lives Matter, you say, yes, they do? Stop. Yeah. Now, the, the common response is all lives matter. We know that all lives matter. Yeah. But I'm going to, th- I thought some great wisdom from Carl Lentz on this, or a great way to describe this. He said, listen, if you go into a neighborhood and there's a house on fire, you don't stand out, if, if your neighbor's house three doors down is on fire, you don't stand outside of your house and say, My life, my house matters, my house matters, my house matters. What house needs the, needs the fire, needs the attention, needs the water right now? It's a house that's burning. In our nation, we have a house that's burning, and it deserves the attention and the reality of the kingdom of God, the water of God, to come to it so that we say, Yes, you're right, black lives do matter. Does that negate that all lives matter? No. But right now, we need to agree that Jesus says Black Lives Matter. Stop, period. Why? Because when we say something else, we are prevented from conversation that allows us to get to the place where we talk about what God really wants to do. The, Black Lives Matter, the movement, official movement, doesn't own that, that saying. The church of Jesus Christ should, should own that saying. We don't yet, but we should. Did that offend you, though? Did that get in your business a little bit? Or maybe it challenged you. Maybe it brought you to a new place of understanding. We need to be willing, and, and, and thank, thank you, Mama Don, Donna, for this language. We need to be willing to build bridges in our language so that we can see the kingdom of God advance. Because here's the thing. We, we, we cannot other people. We cannot make people other. What do I mean by that? Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter four. We'll make it a real church meeting by reading some scripture. Luke chapter four. You guys okay to hang with me for a few extra minutes? Yep. Listen, I've I've already preached this twice, so like I, I can be done. But all right, if you have to leave, no, no, you can sneak out. I won't. I won't call you out. I promise. I really can't see that well back there, so just. Stay low and you'll be good to go. In, in Luke chapter uh, 4, Jesus uh, is just being, he's just coming out of temptation. And in verse 14 it says, Jesus returned to Galilee. That's the region that he's from. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And so he starts, uh, reports are spreading all over the place about him. Um, and the, everybody's super excited. They are, uh, they're praising what's going on. And then Jesus comes to Nazareth his own hometown, and he goes to a synagogue, as usual, it says, to do something very unusual, and you'll see what it is in just a minute. He comes to a synagogue, and he gets up to read the word, to read the scroll. What I think is really interesting is he's about to release something incredibly unusual, prophetic about himself, and it's going to cause a ruckus, but he didn't choose the scroll that was given to him. Somebody gave him the scroll of Isaiah, but he turns to Isaiah, six, what we call Isaiah 61, And he reads this powerful scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolls up the scroll. He hands it back to the attendant. He sits down, and all eyes in the synagogue are on him. Intently, he's been teaching. They want to know, like, what's your perspective on this? And he speaks to them, and he says, The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What's interesting to me is that's not what's offensive to people. They didn't go now it was a little bit like confusing they're going okay this is Jesus Joseph's son but they're pretty amazed by the gracious words by the what's coming out of his mouth. They're not offended yet. It's not like they're looking at Jesus going who do you think you are? He's just saying, this this Spirit of the Lord's upon me. They're okay with what's happening. They're okay with uh, the poor hearing the good news because they're considering themselves the ones that need to hear it, even. Or the brokenhearted, or the captives released, the prisoners freed, those who mourn having the Lord's favor. What I think is really interesting is Jesus doesn't read the rest of verse 2, he doesn't finish that verse out. What that gives me is great hope in the fact that I don't have to preach an entire verse to be biblically sound. Jesus stopped, I think, intentionally with the rest of that verse because the rest of that verse says what? It says, excuse me, and with it the day of the Lord's anger against their enemies. I think what Jesus was doing was intentional in saying there will come a time for the anger of the Lord to be poured out. How many of you know Jesus is coming back with justice and righteousness and he is going to bring his kingdom to this earth and it's going to be powerful and somewhat violent? Not somewhat, very violent. But what he's saying is right now, in this time, he's called us to a place of grace and of mercy. To speak with the the voice of God saying, there is good news for you who are broken. You can come into the kingdom and judgment is coming later, but come now. Not because you're being judged, but because of the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. So he reads this scripture and and they're kind of amazed to it. And then he he gets a little bit offensive. He goes, you'll undoubtedly quote me the proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. And he accuses them. He says, but I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. It's a little bit offensive. But then he goes deep. And this is where the people get over the top. Certainly there are many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time. And when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent <clears throat> to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman Assyrian. What does he do? He pushes on their ethnocentric view of the scripture. He says, this scripture is about God taking care of people that are not you. See, here's the thing. Religious people are super good at othering people. Oh, that's for me, not for you. Sometimes it's for believers versus non-believers. Sometimes it's for my group and not your group. Sometimes, God forbid, it's even for my comfortable racial profile, and not yours. Well, that's everybody else. The religious people of this day were very good at it. They got so, excuse my language, pissed off that they they didn't get up to leave. They didn't say, this wasn't like, hey, pastor, didn't appreciate your sermon today. You, you, You stepped on my toes a little too hard. They, they stood up, it says, and they grabbed him, and they took him to the edge of, of a cliff, and they were going to push him off and kill him. This was such a bad message, in their eyes they wanted to kill him for it. I don't think I've ever preached one of those yet. I'm hoping it's not today. He gets up in their business. He says, you've missed the point here. And how did he know? How did we know? We know by their reaction. It's the same thing that happens today. Our reactions to what we hear p- opens our hearts and exposes our hearts. It doesn't matter what we believe. It matters what we do. Because we do what we believe. It matters what we believe. Don't, don't misquote me on that. It does matter what we believe. But we re- what we really believe is what we do. Now, that's horrible, but I want to give you some encouragement this morning. Because Jesus was quoting from Isaiah 61, so turn with me to Isaiah 61, if you will. And you see the same verses here. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. By the way, oftentimes when we look at those who are in prison, we say they're in prison for their own stuff. Like, we would, we would expect that somebody who's captive, who's held in slavery, should be released. That's not any fault of their own. Prisoners are there because they're criminals. And yet Jesus says, in him, there is freedom even for those who have done wrong. I'm not saying that there should be no law and justice and no prisoners. But understand something. The Spirit of God is bringing freedom into people's lives. The good news brings freedom. The people of God are called to bring freedom. And so Jesus uh, is quoting from Isaiah 61, but I want you to look at the verses after. The verse is verse 3. It's a promise, and we have this promise fulfilled in Jesus. It's for Israel, but it's for us by way of induction into this. To all who mourn in Israel, he'll give a crown of beauty for ashes. A joyous blessing instead of mourning. Festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted to his own glory. What God is doing in preaching the good news to the poor and freedom to the captives and and binding up the brokenhearted and those who mourn is that he is calling us to be planted as oaks of righteousness for his glory. Listen, whether the other person needs it or you need it, and let me tell you, we can't other people in this either. We can't say, well, that's for those broken people. No, this is for us. We were broken. We were mourning. We were imprisoned. And we've been brought in and set free and given gladness, but it doesn't happen unless we recognize that we need it. We don't get to sit here, white people, in a lily-white tower and say, I'm doing all right with me and my people. We need to realize that we've been broken and there are currently people that are being oppressed and hurt who need us to stand with them and preach the good news of the gospel. Not with a pat answer, not well, it's a sin problem, here's the gospel, and just walk away from it. But an ongoing relationship where we all together say we need the Spirit of God to proclaim this over our lives so that we can together be planted as oaks of righteousness for God's glory. And then I want you to see this, because this is really incredible, because when this happens, what does God do? He takes those things that are formerly broken, those things that are formerly prisoner, those things that are formerly in mourning, and he, he does something incredible He says, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Listen, God doesn't say, then I will. There are other times where he does, but he says, then they will. By the Spirit of God, the people of God, regenerated by God, called into this thing, we are the ones who rebuild ancient ruins. Repair cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they've been deserted for many generations. Listen, it doesn't matter how long. The curse of racism, how many generations it's been over a people. If we will humble ourselves, we could be the generation that sees that redeemed. We can walk in a redemptive purposes where cities are rebuilt. Cities that are known for brokenness in this area become cities of reconciliation and redemption and wholeness by the power of God. But it doesn't happen if we just sit back. We've got to be the they that are involved in it. It's a powerful role for you and I. Verse six says we're priests of the Lord and ministers unto God. Verse seven says instead of shame and dishonor, we have a double share of honor because the Lord loves justice. It's a prophetic moment. Look at verse nine. We're seeing this prophetic moment in Israel proper right now. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations and everyone will realize that there are people the Lord has blessed. Why? Because they have the answers of God. We ought to be able to lead in this area. It's happening in Israel right now. In Israel right now, we, they are blessed and they are recognized and honored for the blessing of God on their nation. That is a prophetic declaration to us that we can walk in God's blessing in this area as well. And then we see in verses 10 and 11, the marriage that's so often put into scripture of righteousness and justice. Psalms 89.14 says this, Righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Listen, if, if we're just being real honest, it seems like there's two sides that we're getting pulled to. Either it's the justice side or the righteousness side. It's I need you to recognize there's injustice and we need to fix it. I need you to stop looting and breaking things. That's a false dichotomy. In, in, in the kingdom, righteousness and justice always go together. You cannot have one without the other. So God is looking to release righteousness and justice through his people. So what's the real solution? The real solution, if the worship team wants to come, is that we are here with an opportunity in the moment. But it can't be a moment opportunity only. It's got to be a movement. What do I mean by that? Listen, if you hear this today and your heart is stirred and you say, God, I've got some work to do, we cannot have a kumbaya moment and walk out and forget about it. Or walk out and say, I'm good. We've got to be the people of God that are willing to do the hard work, the uncomfortable work, the work that calls us out of ourselves to others to minister the kingdom of God to others. Otherwise, we don't have the answer. And someone else is going to give the answer, and the world is going to have the most prominent voice. They have it right now. It ought not to be so. It is time for the people of God to stand up and say, no, I'm not in this for the moment. I'm not in this to get myself uh, out out of jail. I'm not in this to prove my own righteousness. I am in this to see the righteousness and justice of God prevail. I have to talk to her about when I get to the end, not distracting people. How does this happen? Galatians 2.20 is a, is a verse that many of us are familiar with. It says this, it says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So the life I live in this earthly body So I live this life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Powerful verse, right? We are in Christ, no longer I who live. I'm crucified with Christ. But I have learned recently the context of this verse in a whole new light. Dr. Tony Evans talked about this. He said this, the context of this verse of being crucified with Christ is in the context of Paul writing about Peter And his ethnocentric problem. Let me explain. Peter, who was Jewish, Paul was Jewish. Peter was called as apostle to the the Jews and Paul was called as an apostle to the Gentiles. But they crossed over on that, right? Because God's good like that, right? But Peter had a problem. See, when he was with the Gentiles, he would live like a Gentile. He wouldn't follow the religious rules. But when Jews came, people who followed James, another apostle, he would live like, a Jewish man. And it said it was, it was such a deception that even Barnabas, the great encourager, fell into it as well. And so Paul called out Peter and said, dude, you can't, you can't do that. You can't live like that. We can't be enslaved to the law. And how do we live this way? We live this way by being crucified with Christ. What does that mean? It means we are willing to give up our own rights to live the way we want to live to see somebody else reached for Jesus. Let me, let me get real. This is as far up in your business as I'm going to get today. Can we give up the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, our own happiness or comfort or whatever you want. Because we live in a kingdom before we're part of a nation so that the world could see Jesus. Listen, that's not a choice I can make for you. But you you can make the choice to give up your rights, to lay down your rights, like Jesus laid down his right to be crucified with Christ and no longer live for our own selves. And if we're going to see revival, if we're going to see the church of God have the answer, it's going to require the people of God laying ourselves down. Because then we can walk in love. Then we can walk in unity. Then we can walk in kindness. Then we can let the message of Christ, like Corinthians 3 says, with all its richness fill our lives. That's our calling. That's our calling. So I hope today is not a moment. I hope there, like it was a moment, I hope there was some stuff that got in our hearts and challenged us and made us think some more. But I hope it placed a hunger in your heart to be ready to listen more to the Spirit of God and to our brothers and sisters. to put aside the life philosophies and political philosophies and the intimidation to stay silent to find out what God wants to say so that we'll see revival. Would you stand with me? Father, we come before you in humility. Recognizing that my words are not adequate. But that your word is perfect. Your written word and your real word to our hearts. Your living word, Jesus, combined together Bring life to us. And we simply ask, God, that as our hearts are being exposed in those places that we have valued another kingdom over yours are being exposed, God, that you would do the work, that you'd allow us the grace to be uncomfortable, to not make a quick answer or an easy answer, but to give us the courage and the, power of your spirit to recognize that the answer is the gospel and it's not a one-time deal. It's an over and over and over again preaching of the gospel to ourselves and sharing it with others. Lord, may our hearts be exposed to healing and to redemption. Lord, would you start with us so that we could be your people empowered by your spirit to boldly declare what you are saying. God, we lay down our rights to see your kingdom advanced. Thank you for this moment to hear the heart of our Father. Pray in Jesus' name. Jake's coming now to close us.